The one thing I like about God's wisdom and learning from the Lord is the fact that God does not change, right? I, it's so funny because, you know, Anissa will say, hey, how do you want to deal with this or how do you want to deal with that? And she's always asking me, how do you want to deal with, you know, feeding the animals? Because, thing, you know, weather changes, things changes, animals change, food changes, the value of the food changes, right? Um, and so everything is always changing. And so she's always asking me. And, uh, but you know what the cool thing about God's word? It stays the same. We can trust it. And so it's such a beautiful thing. We're in Ecclesiastes. If you haven't been with us for a while, uh, you know that um, you don't know, but uh, the rest of us do that we've been studying Ecclesiastes. And this morning, we're going to be talking about the way of wisdom or contrasting the way of the fool and the way of wisdom. Uh, we're quickly coming to the end. And, and in these final moments, Solomon is giving us answers. And he's giving us really the answers to all the questions that he's been asking. Is there wisdom found in riches and, and seeking riches? Or is there wisdom or is there meaning in life found in all of our possessions. And of course, you know, he was not only the wisest man on earth, but he was also the richest man on earth. And we also know that he amassed a great amount of authority along with his wealth. He had great power. And he says that also is meaningless. And so he's saying at the end, as we come to the end of chapter 10 and and, uh, well, end of chapter 9, chapter 10, and chapter 11, we're going to be looking at where is wisdom found. And before we do that, we're going to talk about why we should avoid foolishness and the difference between the foolish man and the wise man. And it's not just because he built his house on the rock, right? Because you know the floods are coming down right now as we speak. I know, because we woke up to a deluge of water this morning. <laughs> so all our trenches are full, Jim, every one filled to the brim. And uh, we found out that they're overflowing onto the rest of our property. So <laughs> I, uh, we have, you know, the, the wise man is not what the world thinks. And the foolish man is also not what the world thinks. I know in my life I've been told many times because of my love of the Lord, I'm foolish. And my lack of desire of riches or desire of things is foolish. I need more power. I need more authority. I need more stuff. And I'm like, man, I don't need any more headaches. I just need the Lord. And uh, so that's where we're going. And we're going to be looking at Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 10. This will be two parts. We'll start in, uh, this morning and in verses 1 through 4. And then we'll look at the rest uh, in, the, in a couple of weeks after we spend some time giving thanks. Before we pray, I just want to encourage you uh, some little things about next week. It is really, truly a family time. It is also a family time to come together and praise. Um, no, and I encourage you, everyone serve one another. If you don't feel comfortable eating, that's fine. You can... Uh, sit around and, and praise the Lord, but we're going to, uh, part of the whole service is we're going to be spending time together around the table and just practicing 
being thankful and praising the Lord. So there'll be a lot more songs. There's going to be time of prayer. There's going to be a time where we can just sit at the table and just tell and say, this is what I'm so thankful for and what God has done and practice being thankful. Um, so how that's going to work is, is as we bring the food, there will be tables set up downstairs where you can set food. There will be a hot food station uh, and you can drop off. And so we'll be doing that and then food will be set up on the side. But when you come in here, there's going to be tables and chairs that will kind of spill off to the side. There will be the table. Um, if you don't want to sit around a table, you don't have to. We'll have uh, chairs set up in the balcony and there will be chairs set up in other places so you don't have to actually sit around the table. But we want you to come and just praise the Lord for His goodness. And so just to give you some family instructions as we come and celebrate that together. Well, let's worship the Lord. So let's bow in prayer and read His holy word together. Lord, we praise Your holy name. We lift up Your holy word. We ask for Your encouragement, Your guidance. Help us uh, to not get focused on our own understanding. Lord, help us to choose purposefully this morning to acknowledge you, to want to know you, uh, to desire you above all those things, that you would become our greatest treasure, not just right now, but in our week, in our living, and how we live out our life. Thank you for our church family. Thank you that we have become more and more supporters of one another, loving one another, helping one another, um, and Lord, looking out for each other's interests. Help us to do that more intently as an outflow of worship for you. So Lord, we ask for your wisdom, the wisdom that never changes as it guides us and encourages us. We pray for those that are in need, that are struggling either with health or, Lord, with uh, physical things. We ask that you would bless and nourish for uh, Helen um, and her family that, and the loss of her brother and those that are dealing with sickness. Lord, in the midst of all of these hard things, and we see your hand at work and we praise you for that. Praise you that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And Lord, that if we desire to look closely to your work as it is uh, doing these great things in our life in the midst of even hard things. So Lord, bless us now as we spend time together because Lord, you are great and you are worthy of praise. You are worthy to hear your word. And so we honor you and your words this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Ecclesiastes chapter 10 and verses 1 through 4, it says this. It's kind of odd, but it says, Dead flies make the perfume's ointment to give off a stench. So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart inclines him to the left. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense. And he says to everyone that he is a fool. If the anger of a rule rise, rises against you, of a ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness 
will lay great offense to rest. Charles Spurgeon said in the fact of uh, dealing with wisdom and foolishness, great preacher, he said this, wisdom is the right use of knowledge. It's not just enough to know things, it's how to live within that knowledge or with that knowledge, rightly applying it to your life. He says this, to know is not to be wise. Many men know a great deal and are the greater fools for it, for they don't use the wisdom that God has given them. There is no fool so great a fool as a knowing fool, but to know how to use knowledge is to have great wisdom. He goes on to say, the wise man considers what he wants to become, and yet the fool only considers what he abounds in. Albert Barnes, another preacher and theologian, said this, a fool knows the place of everything and the value of nothing, right? There is nothing more foolish than an act of wickedness. There is no wisdom equal to that of obeying our heavenly Father. A fool thinks himself to be wise, but a wise man knows himself to be a fool, right? Humble yourself before the mighty hand of God, and he will exalt you in due time. Only a fool thinks he can fool God, right? Many times with our life, we think, oh, I can, I can do this, and it'll be okay. God really won't mind or his word or his rules or the things that he has given us don't really make that big of a difference. And yet we think we can fool God with our logic, and yet we can't. In this introduction, we also, uh, uh, Rob uh, gave us Ephesians chapter 5, and in that whole thing, we know that it is God's desire that we imitate him, that we follow him, that we love him, that we follow him as his child, and, and that we not just called his child, but we would follow him in such a way that people would know that we are his child. That word imitate there literally means to mimic. It's where we get the word mime. You know what a mime is. It's a mime is as a person who doesn't use words, but yet we know what he's doing. He acts out a scene and we laugh, we snicker sometimes at the scenes because sometimes it's done in jest or, and we look at it. But the reality is, is God is, acting, is act, asking us to act in such a way that not only our words, but our life would mimic Him. In doing that, in Ephesians 5, verses 15 through 17, He says this, Therefore, look carefully. Right? You know what look carefully means, Right? Have you ever glanced at something or got up in a rush and run only to trip over something? <laughs> right? You know why God made one toe bigger than all the rest? It was to find everything you didn't look at, right? <laughs> or at night when you don't have a light and you find everything that you forgot was on the floor. I always think about, you yeah, my kids' Legos, they're dangerous. Uh, those are the landmines that you don't run down the stairs fast in our house. I appreciate the love of Nerf guns uh, because stepping on them is easy. Legos are not. But here's the thing. He says, look carefully with your life. He says, look 
carefully then how you walk, not as unwise or the term foolish there, but as wise, making the most use of your time because the days are evil. So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. To, to know God, to follow God, to imitate the Lord is to be wise. To know God and not follow God is to be foolish. The obvious presupposition here is that it's possible for a believer to walk or to live a life that's unwise. But it's also possible for us to be wise. In the context, the one who is walking as a wise person in Ephesians 5 is one who is keeping himself from all the impurities of the world, whether it's sexual impurity or greed, the impurity of greed or the impurity of how we talk, all of the things and how we walk. The wise person is the one who re, uh, refuses to participate in these unfruitful deeds of darkness, but to seek that which is light or the wisdom that comes from God. Now, it's interesting as we go back to our study in Ecclesiastes in chapter 10, it seems to be the act of that Solomon is saying, here is a fool, this is what is wide, wise, and this is what is foolish. And he gives us really these contrasts, and we're going to look more of the contrast next week, but this week we want to look at this aspect of what does it mean to be fool. And there's a natural aspect to a fool, some natural parts of our life that is just because we are human. And he gives us in Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Now, I give you all of these verses in the notes. It is an awesome opportunity for you to look them up throughout the week. And you can critique and say, no, pastor was just blowing smoke in the message. Or you can look at them and say, you know what? God really does say this and we need to live this way. It's a great opportunity to study. I appreciate that's what one of the small groups does every week. They go through and they, they reevaluate. And the idea is, is, is pastor really talking about God's word or is he just preaching about himself? That, preaching about myself, those are rabbit trails. Preaching about God is his word. That's what's important. The natural aspect of a fool in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 5, we see that Solomon says, one who is lazy is a fool. So a lazy person is, is a fool. They're very foolish in their life, not very productive. Ecclesiastes 5, verses 2 through 6, we see is a foolish one is one is a man who is, uh, who is not a man of his own word. You can't trust him. When he says one thing, he actually does another. In Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 5, one that we saw recently is, a fool is one who will always tell you what you want to hear, not necessarily what is right. He just kind of builds up yourself and tells you what you want to hear, but it has no truth or value behind it. Also, in the very next verse, in Ecclesiastes 7, verse 6, we see that the one who is shallow and, and laughs at shallow things is also foolish. Solomon then went on to write, man, if you look up fool, and it'll just pull up the bulk of all that is foolish, 
that we see in the Bible is written in Proverbs. If you've never done it, you realize you can read a chapter of Proverbs every day of the week. There are 31 chapters. Most of the times there's 30 days or 31, right? And you can uh, leave off third, chapter 31 very often and you just re- go through and you go on and you read in the cycle and pick out new wise things to learn about. He says about the fool, Solomon goes on in Proverbs 10, verse 14 and 21, he says the fool in Proverbs is observed uh, is absurd and he is destructive and ends in death many times. His foolish life ends usually in destruction. Proverbs also, chapter 10, verse 8, the destruction comes in part because of the fool and his rebellious attitude. A fool is rebellious. This is kind of the natural aspect of a fool. They rebel against what people say. They rebel against authority. They rebel against God. They rebel against His Word. They don't want to hear from anyone else except for what they feel. A natural aspect of a fool is this in Proverbs 15, uh, 5, 16, 22, and 17, 10. A fool refuses instruction or even discipline. I, I love also Proverbs chapter 12, verse 1. It says, he who loves instruction is wise, but he who hates instruction is stupid. And it's using the word stupid correctly. doesn't mean that they're unlearned or can't learn. What it means is, is that they know and have heard what is true and they reject it. They don't come to their senses or they're not sensible. Proverbs chapter uh, 12, verse 15, it says, and, uh, or I'm sorry, verse 14, verse 16, and uh, chapter 18, verse 6, instead they are reckless and they get themselves into trouble very often because they don't listen to the truth. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 15, it says they are arrogant. Proverbs 26, verse 6, says they are untrustworthy. A fool in Proverbs 20, verse 3, 29, 9, and also 29, 11. A fool speaks impulsively and argumentatively. They don't listen, right? James says, be quick to listen and slow to become angry and to speak. These are all natural aspects to a fool, things that just naturally based on impulse and based on our flesh and things that are natural to society. But there's also a moral aspect to a fool. A fool isn't just natural, and it's not just, but there is this rejection of spiritual things. There's this spiritual side, not just the natural side. In Job chapter 2, verse 10, Job actually called his wife a fool. I don't recommend you doing that. I've, I've done that only once. It didn't end well. So I also made that mistake and didn't end up for, I think, about a month in the kitchen. So <laughs> I got fed a lot of vegetables. <laughs> but in Job 10, he called his wife foolish, and it was because of this. Because a fool uh, will tell you to curse God and die. Basically, give up on God. Don't listen to God. Just curse him and die. That's why Job, that's what Job's wife was telling Job to do, right? Proverbs chapter 10, verse 23, the fool prefers evil, means that on the spiritual side of things, 
On the moral side of things, he rejects the spiritual things and he prefers to go after the evil things. Psalms 14, verse 1, literally it says that he rejects God. The moral aspect of a fool is that he rejects the spiritual things of God, just rejects God openly. Proverbs 14, verse 12, or, and goes on to say that the fool rejects repentance. That act of getting right with God, they reject it. Choosing instead, in Proverbs 26, verse 11, to repeat his folly over and over and over again. Do you under, do you kind of get this overarching picture of a fool? A fool tends to bring others down to their level. They don't like it when people act wisely and they gain notoriety, notoriety because of their wisdom. They don't like it when people that are wise succeed. And so in Proverbs 26.4, it says that the fool tends to get upset and they bring others down. Proverbs 13.20, that we find out that the fool should be avoided. And so we come to this chapter in Ecclesiastes chapter 10, and we are given two distinct paths, the paths of the wise and the paths of the fool. And we want to ask this question as we look at this aspect, and is why should we avoid the path of the foolish at all costs? Proverbs 14, 7 says, Stay away from the fool, for you will not find knowledge on their lips. Literally, it's saying you will not find the experience on their lips, the wisdom that comes with how to live your life. So who is the fool to be avoided? This, it is ironic here that Solomon, right, does this, that he's showing us the fool to be avoided, that he's giving us this contrast about the two paths, the paths of wisdom and the paths of fool, because Literally, Solomon, in his own words, in the beginning of Ecclesiastes, is saying that he has played the part of the fool for a long time in his life. He has walked down the path of the fool. He knows the path of folly. And now he's telling us, here is the fool to be avoided. Do not walk this path. Lean to the right. Lean to the right direction. Follow wisdom. So basically, in a sense, in this chapter, in chapter 10, Solomon is telling us that there are two choices to be made, and there are consequences for choosing to walk down the path of the wisdom, and there, those consequences give us great grace to experience God's loving kindness, even in the midst of our sin. We can still walk the path of wisdom when we acknowledge God's greatness and yet there's also the choice of uh, not acknowledging God's greatness and God's grace and choosing to walk the part of the fool. It's interesting, in the Hebrew word of wisdom, it's literally having good sense. It's, it's having good sense and making good decisions. It's the ability to be crafty in your ability to judge what's right or wrong, it's like, wow, that person really has good sense on his 
shoulder. The opposite to be true is the Hebrew word for fool. It's actually impulsiveness. It's a fool is one who, the word literally means acts impulsively in sin. A fool is one who is arrogantly projects himself as good, but impulsively acts in sin and gets always into trouble. So we see some reasons why we should avoid the fool at all costs. Number one, we find in actually in verse 18 of chapter 9 and also in verse 1. If you go back one verse from our text, verse 18, it says, Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. And then he gives us an example of one sinner destroys a lot of good. Why should we avoid the fool? Well, it says here, dead flies make the perfumes, ointment, to give off much stench. So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. A little foolishness will ruin wisdom. Literally, he's given us this imagery. And when, when I was in Egypt, it was amazing as I brought home, we still have it, uh, in, our, in our keepsake area, but we went, and I went to where they made ointments and perfumes, and we saw how they crushed all the flowers, and they pressed them, and they crushed them, and they made, and they made oils and ointments and put it together, and I got these little volume, uh, I, volume ah, vials, there we go, little, it was like my first, you know, if you've seen good oils and doTERRA and um, so I was getting involved in all of that good oil stuff before my wife did. And <laughs> but I got to see all of it. And I also got to see, and they're like, I was like, what's all this? And they were like, that's the bad oil. And I said, well, what makes it bad? And he says, well, there was an impurity that was introduced to it, and it destroyed the whole thing. And there's buckets and buckets of this oil over there. And you walk over there, and you don't see anything bad but you go over there and you're like, whoa. <laughs> and it was stench. It was horrible. And yet you had all of this good perfume and then you had all of this bad perfume. Now, many of you that have raised your own farm eggs know what I'm talking about. Have you ever found an egg and you think it's a great egg? And it's, it somehow, sometimes our chickens will gather eggs from other chickens' nests and they didn't Something happened and the egg didn't grow and it wasn't, it didn't, and it just rotted, but you don't know. And one of the other hens steals it and adds it to the, her nest. And so you have these good eggs and you have one bad egg. And we're in our house and you crack open eggs and we never crack open an egg in the skillet. We always crack it into a little bowl first before we add it to the skillet. Because every once in a while, and you know when it happens right away, you begin to crack the egg, nothing has even come out. And you're like, get it out, get it out, get it out. Because it destroys the, you will not want to eat breakfast the whole morning. That smell permeates the house. You cannot get that egg out of the house fast enough. Solomon is already compared in, in uh, chapter 7, verse 1, that a man's reputation is extremely 
valuable. It's precious. It's more precious than the most fragrant ointment or oil. Now he gives us this imagery of these dead flies and in the perfume. And what's amazing is, is that it literally is that it only takes one dead fly to destroy and create rot in all of the perfume. There's, there will be times in our life that we act foolish, right? You know, that's why God gave us the blessing of grace. In 1 John 1, 9, he says, if we confess, we open our heart and we open our mind and to God's thinking and we say, you know what, my life is not right. And I confess he says in 1 John 1, if I confess my sins, he is faithful and just to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. There's going to be moments that we act foolish. But Solomon is talking about the fact that it's easier to create a stink and a quick impulse than it is to live a pure life. Foolishness in the life, if neglected for a long period of time, can end up more in control of a person's life than wisdom in honor. You see, God gave us the ability to dip out and graciously remove that fly from the ointment in our life. God has made it away. But what Solomon is saying is so easy for just something to enter a thought, an impulse, and we give into it and it will just destroy the reputation of our life. And if we let it sit there long enough, it ferments and it takes over our life. Did you notice he says, so a little folly outweighs wisdom in honor. I don't know about you, but a five-gallon bucket of oil versus a fly, right? You know, you've ever heard the proverbial, it's just a drop in the bucket, right? Solomon's getting at this, that a little, a little foolishness can ruin wisdom. If left, it will destroy wisdom. It'll ruin it. God has given us the ability to confess and be open and run to Him. There are things in our life that you've heard, don't do this, don't do that, it'll ruin your reputation. And you're like, yeah, whatever. And you give in to your impulses and you say, it, it, it looks good. Right? Satan's adage. Go ahead and take it, Eve. It looks good, doesn't it? Look how it, it's juicy. It has all of these characteristics. And, 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 and you bite it, and then you're going to have wisdom. Right? But yet, it introduced sin to all mankind. Adam said, yeah, it looks good. He ate it. Right? That's what Satan's folly does to us. The impulse of, it looks good, it feels good, do it. The Apostle Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 6, a little leaven leavens the whole lump, right? 
chapter 9, verse 18 in our, in our text, it says, but one sinner destroys much good. I'll never forget that the, the church that I came out of, where I was mentored and discipled and counseled and encouraged and uplifted in all my struggles and some of the greatest struggles I experienced in my life, and that church surrounded me, grew me, and helped me become and mold me to become a pastor. And yet, and then we went out and, and, and from that, and we were pr- prayed for, and, and we went out from that church, and yet that church does not exist anymore. One man came in and said, well, are they really following God? Did they, is what they really, are they really, what they're saying really true? And he came in and one person destroyed that whole church. You, we need to realize, the, Solomon says folly. We need to avoid foolishness at all costs because it doesn't take much to destroy. And if we let it exist, it'll ferment and cause much destruction. But yet if we deal with it quickly, we can continue to live in wisdom. Brings us number two. Why should we avoid foolishness at all costs? Because foolishness is an issue of the heart. Foolishness comes in and it lodges in our heart. Chapter, or chapter 10, verse 2 of our text says, A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but the foolish heart to the left. The heart directs a man. The heart directs your life. I want you to notice that both the wise man and the foolish man are governed by their hearts. You know what's amazing? In the Bible times, the right hand was a place of honor, right? In Matthew, they were always arguing, right? The disciples were always arguing, hey, can I sit on your right? Because right is the place of honor, right? What's amazing is the left was the hand of dishonor. Sorry for all you that are left-handed. This is not talking about the fact that you are in your right mind because you are left-handed. Left-handed people use their right, right side of their brain, so that's just part of science there. But here's the thing. It's really interesting. The left hand is what you, clean, or the left hand is what you cleaned with because it's a place of dishonor. The right hand is a place of honor. That's what you touched people with was your right hand, not your left. Which is amazing. You know our English word for sinister? You know sinister, you hear that often associated with comic books or sinister. They're sinister people or evil people. But sinister comes from the Latin word that means on the left hand. It comes from the Hebrew word for left hand. Did you know that? It's pretty interesting. I love studying the etymology of words. It brings clarity to things. Going right or going left is really an important choice in your life. Our heart is the center of our life, the master control that governs the issue, right? Jesus wants to us to give him our life so that way he can direct 
our life. Watch carefully then how you walk, Ephesians 5 says. Who has control of your heart? Is it yourself and the things of this world or is it our Heavenly Father? Are you going to the right or are you going to the left? Proverbs 4.23 says, Guard your heart with all diligence for out of it comes the course of your life. It gives you the direction of your life. We need to guard our heart because from where our heart is, there your life, you know, the treasure of your heart, the, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Paul said the greatest treasure of his life is the Lord Jesus Christ. Proverbs 3, 5 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge Him and He will make your paths straight. Which path are you choosing in your life? Is it the path of the fool or the path of the wise? We need to avoid the foolish path at all costs. Foolishness is the issue of a heart because where your heart is, there you will incline to go. Proverbs 14, verse, 20, or verse 12 says, There is a way that seems right unto man, but it ends in death. The fool says, I, I know the right way. I, what, the way that I feel, what feels good to me, it seems right. It seems like it's right, but it's really left. And it ends in destruction. The word death there, by the way, doesn't mean a physical, like you die. It means that you live in death. When you follow that what seems right, your heart is taking you in a direction where you kill relationships, you kill the, the blessings that God gives you, you destroy those blessings. The blessings of our body the blessings of our marriage relationship, the blessings of our family church relationships, the blessings of all relationships. The fool tends to destroy all of those. Why should we avoid foolish, the foolish, foolish person at all costs or the fool or being the fool is because it's an issue of the heart. The third thing is why should we avoid the way of the fool at all costs is the fool is easily identified by everything, by everyone, everywhere he walks. The fool is easily identified. The fool thinks he is wise and therefore struts his stuff, but everyone can see that he or she is foolish. A fool cannot walk on any road without people soon realizing that he lacks all good sense. Have you ever noticed that about people who rob other people? We lived in Yakima for a short time, and Yakima, it's still not very big. It wasn't big then. It's still not very big now. Most everybody knew everybody or knew about everybody, and you recognized everybody. I mean, it was just, that's the way it was in a small town. Some of you can relate. I had a truck. We called it the Dead Flesh Mobile. It ran really well. It wasn't much to look at. My wife wouldn't even call it a truck. It was an old, old 1980 beat-up Toyota pickup truck, two-wheel drive. It was kind of like a lowrider, even though it wasn't. 
Uh, it was just the way it was. It was small. Um, I actually lost that coming up here to Bellingham. A truck just ran over me, basically. <laughs> destroyed the truck. A real truck actually destroyed my truck. But somebody thought it would be a great to steal it. We went back to pick it up from where my wife had parked it. It was gone. I was shocked that anybody would want it, other than the fact it drove. My wife was like, what in the world are we going to do? And I was like, well, praise the Lord, we have another vehicle. It'll be okay. God will work it out. A day later, I got woke up at 5 o'clock in the morning. Is this Kyle Decker? Yes. Do you own a tan-looking colored pickup truck? Yes. I, I, I did. It got stolen. Well, we have it. It's at the parking lot of the grocery store, the only grocery store in town. And uh, we need you to come down and identify the contents. And I'm like, my truck doesn't have anything in it. it. There was not, I mean, it was an old pickup truck. It was just bare to the bones. I'm like, okay. I'm like, I woke my wife up. I was like, I'm going down to pick up the pickup truck. Went down, dropped me off. They had the people who stole the truck right there, spread out on the ground, waiting for me to identify everything that they had stolen. What they did is they had used my truck to go on a on a spending or stealing spree to steal things from other people and the whole back of my pickup truck was loaded and I had to identify. I was like, well, I'll make it easy for you. When they stole the truck, there was nothing in it. So if, even if there was by happen, you know, stance, anything of value, it probably wasn't mine anyway. So they were like, okay, great. The other thing was, as I realized, is, is they filled up my truck for me. I got a whole tank of gas out of it. It was almost empty when they stole it. It was full when I got it back. <clears throat> Praise the Lord that they didn't destroy it. A fool is easily identified everywhere they go. It was like everybody knew it was my truck. They just pulled them over and, and arrested them. We hear that thieves aren't very smart. They always get caught. A fool can't walk very far in life before people start recognizing that they are a fool. A commentator put it this way, even as he walks along the road, the fool shows everyone how stupid he really is, that he has a lack of sense. Proverbs thirteen sixteen says this, Every prudent man acts with knowledge, but a fool flaunts his folly. A fool is not, not really concerned about the, what the Word of God says. He's more interested in walking in his own way rather than in God's way. Another, not, not a biblical commentator, but another worldly wise person said this. He said, stupid is a stupid does. What's inside will eventually show up on the outside. Literally, what Solomon is saying is, is that a little foolishness, a person has allowed a little foolishness to stink his life and his reputation. And it is lodged in his heart to where the only way he walks is point two, in that his heart is taking him in the wrong direction. And in walking in that wrong direction, he cares so much about his life that what's in his heart, that stench of foolishness, will always come out. 
Jesus said this in talking in Mark 7, 21 through 23, when the, everybody was like, which one of these guys are wise? And they're looking at all the outward adornment of these people and you know, how, what makes this person, what makes this person wise and what makes this person sinful? And he says to them, he says in verse 21, for from within, out of the heart of man comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, sensualness, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these, you see the foolishness? He says, all of these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. When we see people that are foolish and we're trying to avoid the foolishness, it's a heart issue. We see it on the outside because it has started from the inside. Just by word of note, if you are helping or around those that are foolish, don't focus on all the outward things entrapments of what they are doing, it's an issue of the heart. They've turned their back on the Lord, and their heart is going in a foolish direction. Number four, and that is this, a fool lacks patience and is driven by pride. Solomon says in verse four, if the anger of the ruler against you, by the way, the ruler there is not the sovereign ruler, it's actually in the Hebrew word for for a subordinate ruler. So just some ruler in your life. So subordinate authority. So like your boss at work is a subordinate authority because there's a ruler above him and, and, and he's governed by somebody and that's governed by somebody and that's governed by somebody. So this is not the sovereign ruler. This is just somebody that has authority in your life. If the anger, so there's an, the ruler's angry, rises against you, Do not leave your place. The word place there is place of responsibility. Don't set your responsibilities down and walk out in a huff, is what he's saying. He says this, he gives you wisdom, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. By the way, the word offenses there means sin. It's a Hebrew word for to miss the mark, right? The foolish person just lacks patience. He just says, my pride has been damaged and therefore forget you, I'm leaving. They walk out in a huff. My pride has been hurt. The fool lacks patience and is driven by pride. Why should we avoid foolishness at all costs? Because the, they're out of their outward adornment of their heart, their outflow of their heart has taken them down the wrong path and is being driven by this pride that I'm better. <sighs> Proverbs 29.11 says, A fool gives full vent to his spirit, or literally to his heart, but a wise man quietly holds it back. Proverbs 25, 15 says, With patience, a ruler must be, may be persuaded. Same word there, rule. Someone in authority. With patience, somebody may be persuaded, and a soft tongue will break a bone. Right? Those of you that have broken a bone, you're like, that's really strange. I've never seen a a tongue break a bone. 
Now, in the case of Kedrick, he saw football, hands, football, and a side of a hill break a bone. <laughs> hands applied, football caught, hill crunch. <laughs> right? But in this case, the bone that breaks is the anger of the ruler. Listen to Psalm 37, verse 7. It says this, Be still. Be still. The idea of being quiet. Be still. Stop. Stop rushing around in your thoughts. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. When we act patiently, when, when somebody over us has acted impulsively in anger, maybe you didn't do something right and they've acted in anger, stop and don't worry about your pride. Be patient. That's wise, but the fool doesn't and runs out in a huff because he feels like his pride's been hurt. But look what he says in Psalm 37, be patient and wait for the Lord. Forget not yourself over the one, or fret, I'm sorry, fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way. Don't fret about what those that are over you are doing. Don't fret in those that are, that are succeeding even though they may be wrong. And yet he says, in the end, he says, over, don't fret over the one that prospers in his way. Don't fret over the man who carries out evil devices. Wait patiently for the Lord to act. You see, when the wise, when the, I'm sorry, when the foolish man stomps out in a huff because he just, in anger about what the way that he's been treated, and he says, my pride's been hurt. You're not waiting for the Lord to do the work in your life or in your boss's life, in your teacher's life, in your parent's life, in your kid's life, in your government's life. Wait patiently for the Lord to do His work rather than acting impulsively and becoming and looking like a fool. There's a lot of good wisdom in here. There's a lot of reasons why we should avoid being foolish. Here's some questions for you in the fact of being foolish as we close. i got to find my... question here. What are the dead flies in your life? Have you thought about that? What are the dead flies that maybe need to be taken out of your life before they become rotten and lead you in the wrong way. Often people ask me, it's like, man, I wonder what led these people down to be this destructive in their life. You know, we see that all the time. We hear it all the time. When, we, when I taught at the mission, not this mission, but down in California, I, I taught classes regularly. We called it the New Life Program, and we, it was an issue of the heart. And we said, and the question is, is what dead flies do you have in your life? It's not what, you know, but I always heard people say, what led them to this direction to, to let 
addiction destroy their life. And you know what? As we peeled back every layer, it was just one small fly that they focused their whole life on and left it in their life. How about a little housefly of pride? How about a horsefly of jealousy? You know, horseflies hurt when they bite. So does jealousy. How about a blowfly of temper? What's the fly that you need to, you know, blowflies, they dig, they root, they, they, they lay their eggs and they root into things. They're horrible. So does temper, anger, jealousy, rage, malice, slander, gossip, foolish talking, coarse jesting. That means joking about things that aren't really good, but making them seem funny even though they're bad. How about when that which is sensible and arranged by God is in place, have you thought about this? When we allow what is good and sensible that comes from God to be in place, guess what? Wisdom will thrive in your life. But guess what happens when good, sensible wisdom from God is not allowed to be put in its place? When it's missing, that which is foolish will destroy and ruin wisdom. Once you get on that foolish path, it takes an act of grace and mercy on God's behalf to get rid of it. You can't get rid of it on your own. No matter how good, all the good things you do, you have to turn your heart back to the Lord and repent and be reconciled to him. Get your heart right with God. Without God's grace, there is not much hope of change. So here's the real question. What path are you on today? Are you letting some flies root down into your heart and direct your thoughts? Take Solomon's advice. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, your central nervous system of your life the central CPU, the the processing unit, right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Stop leaning on on your own. Don't think about what you think is right. Look to God's path of wisdom. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean on your own saying, in all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. Which path are you on today? The path of wisdom or the path of folly? The world says to trust in Christ is foolishness. But Jesus Christ is our life. In fact, Paul says it's the only treasure of our life. What, do you, what treasure are you grasping on? Because it will direct your heart. You can't serve two masters. You will always struggle. Do you struggle at church? What master are you serving? A little fly will do a lot of damage. We need to avoid foolishness at all costs. Let's pray. Lord, you sent your son to do something that we cannot do, and that is to ultimately take care of the ultimate foolishness of our life. That is sin, believing that we are good. Lord, you have shown us that there are none good, no, not one. We are all foolish, but yet 
in that foolishness, we can become wise through your work. We can't become wise in our work. It's based upon you. That you came to earth and looked at our fallen state and said, here is the perfect sacrifice for sin, for our ungodliness, for our wrongdoings, for our impurity. And you shed your blood and gave your body to us to purify our life. It wasn't our good deeds. It wasn't our goodness. It wasn't because we go to church and we pray and we know all the Bible stories that makes us a good person. It is, Lord, your death. And it's your life. Because of being the perfect sacrifice, you conquered death. Because the wages of sin is death. But you're not a sinner. You are holy. You are worthy. You're to be glorified above all things. You are our creator. You are the righteous judge that can judge all things. Because, Lord, you are holy. You conquered death because there is no sin. Because you were perfect. And you conquered death for us. That, Lord, if we respond to that gift, you chose to do that. You chose to make us alive, to take us from our dead state of wanting to love ourselves, to say, I need a Savior because I can't do it. We can never be good. So we cry out to you and ask you to save us because you are the perfect gift of salvation. Even though in Romans, in your word it says there's none righteous, no, not one, you also said that for the wages of sin, in, in Romans 6, you said the wages of sin is death, but you go on to say, but the gift of God is eternal life by or through Jesus Christ our Lord. You have said, Jesus, you said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. We'll never have a relationship with you or live for eternity or live with you, worshiping you, glorifying you, and praising you for eternity. We'll never have that relationship unless we respond to that gift, to that sacrifice. It's a choice. We either choose to live for ourselves or we choose to give you our life to acknowledge you that we have only have life in you and ask you to forgive us of our sins because your sacrifice is perfect Lord I pray that that would be the choice on everyone's heart that they would look into their heart and realize that they have to choose one or the other they have to make a, a, a choice based on the response of the call. And Lord, I pray that your spirit would call people and that they would respond this morning. For the rest of us, I pray that we would continue to avoid that foolish past, path of living for ourselves at all cost and walk wisely and humbly with you, our Father, our God, who have saved us from our sins. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.